for another of our Loma Sue Walk and Talk podcast with myself, Sue Langley, and all things positive psychology, emotional intelligence, and neuroscience. This is the place where we discuss the research and figure out how we can use it to be the best we can be. And I wanted today to just talk about emotions, partly because I love emotions. I think emotions are um, absolutely fascinating. And I love the science and the research around emotions, what we know, what we don't know, what's changing, etc. And I have to say, it's probably where I originally sort of started from a business perspective was really trying to learn more about the science of emotions and how they work. And the reason they've been on my mind is, is a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I'm sure maybe many of you during uh, festive or holiday periods, you probably find yourself experiencing lots of emotions. <laughs> and that's certainly been the case for me over the last sort of, couple of months. Um, more recently, or interestingly at the same time, I've also been reading a really interesting paper on central emotions and hubs in a colexification network, which is a recent research paper by Mitsuki Fukuya. And I have to admit, I don't really understand a lot of this paper because it's um, really links to um, information computer technology, information and statistical analysis and all sorts of things that I don't really quite understand. And yet there are some really interesting points in this that link to the personal experience of how we all experience emotions on a regular basis. So I thought I'd start with, well, why are emotions important? And if we think about emotions, sometimes I'm sure there are some of us who probably think emotions um, just appear randomly. Um, and yet, whenever I talk about emotions, I always use the phrase, um, emotions are data, they're information, and they're trying to tell us something. So if you think about what emotions are for, they're to tell uh, an organism, because it might not just be a human being, um, to tell them something, to give them information. So we might feel um, uh, anxious or nervous if we are driving along the freeway and we see a police car in our rearview mirror or up ahead of us on parked on the side. Uh, we might feel um, a sense of anticipation and nervousness as we stand in the queue for a roller coaster. Uh, we might feel... Um, Again, nervous and apprehensive uh, anticipation before going in for a job interview. Uh, we might feel um, concerned or worried about um, getting results back from a medical test. Uh, we might feel uh, motivated and encouraged at the end of an interview for a role. Uh, we might feel joyful with a particular moment. And again, the reason this has sort of come to life is I, I, I've received a lovely um, email this morning from somebody from the first one of the new year talking about moments of joy over the festive season. And so it led me to think a lot about emotions and really what does the research tell us about the importance of emotions? They are data, they're information, they're trying to tell us something, but also the importance of us really having language and understanding around the science of emotions. Now, it's not simple when we think about it. It's not that everybody experiences the same thing. And, and that, I'm sure, makes sense to most people. 
there are universal themes that seem to be, when I say universal, as in they seem to fit across populations, no matter our culture, our gender, our background, our uh, history, our ethnicity, sexuality, whatever it happens to be, there seem to be some common human themes around emotions. And equally, of course, there's our individual fingerprint. So if, like me, over the last sort of uh, few weeks you've experienced a range of emotions, you will very much feel that they're your own individual emotions. And they will be linked to your physiology, which we've talked about on previous sessions about the importance of interoception and those physiological responses. And if you think about emotions, really that's what they are. They're a biological response. Um, it might be a release of certain uh, neurochemicals, neurotransmitters, uh, chemicals, hormones, etc., that run through our body and our brain uh, that cause us to experience a certain emotion. It might be that we release adrenaline and cortisol and our heart rate speeds up, our um, breathing changes, etc., and we classify that as fear. Equally, we might feel um, that we get uh, all of the energy rush to our face we feel heat in our face and we might say we're embarrassed etc so there are physiological and biological responses um, within our body within our brain that actually lead us to experience those emotions today though I really wanted to focus on the language the importance of having language because if I think about uh, emotions that we experience, sometimes I know the ballpark of the emotion that I'm experiencing, and yet I know the word isn't suitable. So um, I have to admit over the last sort of few months, I've experienced a whole range of emotions and one of them kept coming to mind of disgust and I'm like, oh, it's so not disgust. That is such a strong word. It's, it's just not right. And, uh, and I have to admit, I had to go to my, um, my intensity cards to say, well, oh, it's definitely not um, as strong as that, but what is it? Is it aversion, dislike, antipathy? What is the emotion that goes with that? Um, so if we think about disgust, high energy disgust is hatred, low energy disgust might be aversion or boredom, etc. Um, but do we have those words? Um, if we think about um, contempt, contempt, again, I know I've experienced something along those lines over the last couple of months. Um, but again, contempt was too strong a word for me. So I needed to go back to my list of emotion words and I thought, hmm, it's not as high as cynical or disdain. It's not even derision. What a great word. Um, but maybe it was skeptical or indifference that came to mind. So the thing for me is, really are trying to expand my emotional vocabulary and thinking about why. And there are many things that you can do to sort of explore this. Um, I have my intensity cards, which I really love. I have my emotion cards, which I sometimes pull out. It's got 150 emotion words on. Um, I love the Atlas of Emotions um, uh, org that was created by uh, Paul Eckman and the Dalai Lama, where they talk about, for instance, disgust could be dislike, aversion, distaste, repugnance, quite like the word repugnance, um, revulsion, abhorrence. That sounds like a strong word, loathing. So we've got those sorts of things. And they also talk about the experience of that. What is the experience? And we know that the, um, the emotion of disgust is actually linked to a, um, a physical component of wanting to avoid being poisoned, if you like, as in we know it triggers the insula in the brain because we're trying to repulse something away. We want to distance ourselves from the source, for instance. And um, obviously that can be um, a physical thing like 
I don't know, for me, sprouts at Christmas, the traditional English of Brussels sprouts, that probably elicits a little bit of disgust for me because that's a physical thing. Not that I ever got poisoned by them, but uh, I know as a child it was something that I absolutely hated. Um, might be different for you. Some people apparently love sprouts. Um, and yet we often use that uh, emotion, even though it's sort of hardwired to protect us from toxins and poisons. We've um, sort of co-opted that for how we might feel towards others, for instance. Um, and it's it's a way of potentially potentially protecting us from unseemly behavior, for instance, or contamination from other people if we feel this. And so again, it sounds like a really strong word, but maybe things like aversion is possibly there, as in we want to avert, we want to stay away, we want to create some distance. If I think about uh, other emotions that uh, certainly I've experienced and maybe you've experienced in the recent period, um, sadness. So sadness is an interesting one because often we use sadness to uh, compensate uh, or cover a whole range of different uh, types of sadness, if you like. But we know sadness is a response to loss. And sometimes that makes sense. For instance, if we um, have lost somebody we care about, then the intensity of that sadness is going to be much more. It's going to be things like um, misery, sorrow, despair, uh, grief, grief-stricken, etc. Because the thing that we've lost, for instance, the person may be much stronger, creating a much stronger emotion. So again, even though you may feel sad, sometimes we often see that as being linked to something and, or something tangible, and yet it can be something intangible. So if we think about, um, again, the uh, instance of sadness, and we think about what sadness can um, feel like, if you like. It can be uh, lower level, um, so it can be things like anguish, sorrow, grief. Um, it can be things like despair, misery, hopelessness, helplessness. But it can also be, then be resignation, discouragement, disappointment. And again, I can't say that I've probably been in the despair and despondent and grief stricken. And yet, definitely when I get my words together and I realise actually that discouragement, that um, uh, disappointment is there because it's a sadness for something you've lost, as in um, something that you might feel that's important to you that's not tangible, um, whether it be a loss of freedom or a loss of a relationship or a loss of openness or a loss of trust. Um, could be many things in that, in that realm that would all link to sadness. So finding the correct word can be useful. Are you feeling a little down or gloomy or sad? Um, what might be the response to that? So if you are feeling sad, do you also feel ashamed? Do you mourn? Do you protest? Do you ruminate? Do you seek comfort? Um, I know for me, one of one particular instant when I was feeling some of those, I absolutely had a tendency to ruminate and was awake uh, several nights in a row um, and used my journal as a strategy to get things out on paper so that I could get back to sleep again. Um, but do we have a tendency to withdraw? So disgust might cause us to withdraw and sadness might cause us to withdraw. So there might be all sorts of responses that come from these emotions. So that was sort of where I was starting around the language, the experience of emotions. And for me personally, one of the strategies that I use regularly is 
putting some words behind it, putting some language behind it. What is it that I'm feeling and what's the right word? Is it indifference? Is it aversion? Is it disappointment? Um, is it um, that you feel, I don't know, insulted? But again, what's the emotion that goes with that sense of insult? Do you feel vulnerable, ashamed, trapped? Or do you feel understood, appreciated, respected, um, supported, valued, loved, etc.? So often the emotions that we're trying to deal with and move ourselves past is often those more challenging emotions. Um, it's unlikely that you're going to want to rush past feeling happy or motivated or engaged or confident or alive or upbeat. You may do. It may not be suitable for your surroundings in that moment. And yet they're emotions we often want to sit with. And sometimes they can come hand in hand with those more challenging emotions. You might feel uh, positive, supported, engaged and confident. And at the same time, you might feel a little um, humiliated or disappointed. It is possible for these things to go together. What's really useful, I find, is having the words. And when I don't have the words, I grab my emotions cards, I grab my intensity cards or I jump online and I explore. And the other thing that I think is useful is understanding why we might go there. Um, so I'll give you some of the research again in a moment. But there might be different reasons why we might go to anger, contempt, disgust, as I've mentioned already, uh, because we feel wronged in some way. It might be that there are places we go when we are uncertain, such as anxious, worried, excitement. And Brené Brown talks about this quite beautifully in her um, book, Atlas of the Heart, which really explores a coming together of a lot of the emotion research. You know, where do we go when our heart is open? Will we go to trust, um, potentially love, uh, lovelessness and heartbreak can come in there because if our heart is open, then we may get hurt. Um, when life is good, when things are working out, joy, happiness, calm, contentment, gratitude. And again, I don't know about you, but I love the fact that in just a few uh, days, minutes, hours, weeks, certainly, we can experience all of those things. I have to admit, um, launching our Langley Group Foundation uh, filled me with a sense of uh, joy, happiness, positivity, um, excitement, um, and also a sense of maybe relief and accomplishment after um, sort of 10 years of wanting to do something special. So again, we can experience all sorts of emotions. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I do find that the festive season can be um, a roller coaster of emotions. And I often, many people who know me will have heard me say this before. Um, I often say that um, family Christmases are good in theory, uh, sometimes not so good in practice. Um, so let's imagine we've got all these emotions. Let's imagine we've got some words and we, or we've got some ways of finding out some words. Why should we care about this? Why should we care about language? Now, I know I've talked about this before, um, and I wanted to sort of um, reiterate this before I come back to that co-lexification research, is um, Matt Lieberman, a neuroscientist, social neuroscientist, actually explored back in, I think it was 2006, 
I want to say 16, but I might even be 2006. I'm not very good with my space-time continuums. Um, uh, explored what happens in the brain when we actually are able to label emotion, when we put a word to it. And that's one of the reasons that, um, A, we created the emotions cards, the intensity cards, for instance, and also one of the reasons that I use them, because the research tells me that if I am able to put a word to how I feel, it actually is the starting point for being able to regulate that emotion, to deal with that emotion. It's about acceptance and actually um, accepting, yes, this is what I'm feeling right now and being able to articulate that. And so for me, actually being able to go, hmm, aversion, dislike, indifference, sceptical, yep, that makes sense, disappointed, yep, that makes sense. All of those things are um, in there and they are better for me to use the accurate word than they are the overarching word of just sad, disgust, angry, etc., if we think then about what does that do for us? So many of you may be familiar with emotional intelligence and one of the tests that I certainly have used for many years around emotional intelligence is the Mesquite, the Mayer Salovey Caruso Emotional Intelligence Test. And one of the things that I find interesting is our ability to articulate an emotion, to basically expand our emotional vocabulary and put a word to it, improves our ability to um, perceive emotions in ourselves and others. It improves our ability to understand emotions, so understand what's caused them, where they might be coming from, how they might adjust and change. And it also improves our ability to manage emotions, which we know from Matt Lieberman's work. So just the simple act of expanding our emotional vocabulary can improve perceiving, understanding and managing emotions. Okay, so let's go back to where I started because I mentioned this wonderful paper about the colexification, central emotions and hubs in a colexification network. Now, um, you're probably better than me if you actually understand what colexification means. So I'm not going to try and explain that, but it's basically looking at how emotions um, uh, connect across languages, how they can have a single word can be associated with multiple concepts, different semantic relationships, etc. So, for instance, the word malo, M-A-L-O, in Spanish can have two meanings, both bad and severe. L thus, there are two concepts and they are colexified in Spanish. So that's a very simple explanation that's come from the beginning of this report. But what was really interested in this, interesting in this paper was some of the themes that came out at the top, if you like, as in the words that were most colexified, if that's even a word, um, uh, which was good and bad, uh, is sort of what they called sort of layer one, um, as in there's different concepts that fit under that. Um, in a network um, and then there were sort of the next level down so things like merry uh, pretty uh, pity sorry uh, like desire proud um, things like hate and anger they were sort of the next level down as in having different concepts or different semantic regions um, or semantics between them whether it's across uh, languages and they looked at a, a range of different languages for this co-occurrence um, what I, I suppose I got, so I'm not going to explain any more of the paper because as I say, I'm totally happy to admit that I don't really get all the statistical analysis and there is a lot of statistical analysis in here. But what I do love is they put a table of basically the top 25 words that sort of came out as being aggregated emotional colexification network words, I suppose, if that's the technical phrase. Um, and it starts with good, good, want, bad, love. 
And I think those four are quite interesting. These were the top four. Good, want, bad, love. I'm not quite sure I should put them in a sentence together, but um, uh, they're really interesting that we've got good and bad, we've got want and we've got love. Um, then some of the others, and I'm going to read these out to you. I don't expect you to remember them, but there's a few things that I noted about them. So from five onwards, we've got fear, grief, like, happy, hate, desire, anger, regret, hope, anxiety, shame, pity, envy, proud, surprised, sad, happiness, merry, joy, worry, and gloomy. So this was sort of the rank order, I suppose, of the top 25. So good and bad kind of makes sense to me, even simple things. If we think about, if I ask you how you are and you go good, or you say not bad, thanks, non cemale, is they are common words that we might use. Um, love kind of makes sense. And love is, again, an interesting one that we often have conversations around in some of our programs because love can be so different. Um, the love you might have for your parents, for your children, for your siblings, for your friends, etc. But one of the things, and you probably wouldn't have picked it up as I read through that list of 25, I wanted to explore how many of them link to um, either the simple classification of sort of positive, neutral, negative. And many of you, if you're familiar with the way that I often talk about emotions, I often do use the terms like positive and negative because they're often used in some of the... Um, uh, inventories around this. So for instance, the PANAS, the positive affect, negative affect schedule measures those things. So that's often a phrase that's used, but it's never associated with good or bad. And yet if we think about positive, neutral, negative in this list of 25, um, we have uh, 13 of them uh, negative, nine of them positive, and then we had um, the rest neutral, potentially. So want could be neutral because it could go to want good, want not good. Uh, desire could be positive, but equally it could be negative, and surprised is sort of neutral. Um, so we've got a few of those in there. So I first looked at that and then I wanted to look at, as I say, which ones link to what are often called the primary emotions. So uh, happy, sad, disgust, fear, anger. Um, what did I get them all? Happy, sad, disgust, fear, anger and surprise. So surprise is in there once, uh, which kind of makes sense because, um, you know, surprise is probably hasn't got as much nuance perhaps around it as some of the others. Um, there were two emotions in this top 25 that linked to fear. One was number five at fear um, and number 14 with anxiety. Um, so they were fairly high up on this list. Um, anger only appeared once with the word anger. So there was nothing else that really linked um, in the word in with the word anger, such as irritation, annoyed, frustrated, mad, upset, furious, nothing like that. So anger was the only one in that space. Disgust, the only one um, under disgust was hate. So even the strongest form of disgust, which I think is really interesting that we've, uh, this, this sort of nuance that they've come up with across languages um, in the disgust realm, we've got right to the top with hatred. We don't have things like that um, disdain that I mentioned before or um, some of the lower order ones like um, aversion, sorry, like dislike, aversion, etc. Um, then um, we have uh, three under sadness, 
so there were three that sort of linked to sadness would be um, grief, sad and gloomy. So that's interesting. Grief being a more um, intense or sort of the lowest energy, the more extreme. Sadness in the middle and then gloomy, yeah, less so. You know, we're all a bit gloomy. I'm sure Eeyore popped in there when they did their collexification uh, for those of you who grew up with A.A. Milne. Um, and then what was lovely for me is six of the 25 actually linked to the happy sort of primary emotion. Um, uh, I excluded the top four, but things like uh, like, happy, desire, um, yeah, desire, uh, happiness, merry, joy, etc. Um, linking to the happy realm. And again, we've got some lovely ones in there of feeling like or merry. And then we've got some uh, higher level ones such as joy, etc. Interesting that they have happy and happiness. So again, cross languages, do we see those as something different? So why am I sharing this with you? Well, partly so you don't necessarily need to go and read the co-lexification uh, study. Um, what I really loved was um, the, the four hubs and the characteristics of these central emotions um, and how they uh, cut across languages, uh, how they have meaning in a range of different ways. And we know emotions have an important role when it comes to human communication, the way that we connect to people. And actually having some uh, emotional concepts um, and having that language behind it, we know can help us individually as well. So for me personally, I am still trying to learn some Italian along the way. So I'm going to explore some of these words in uh, a second language as well. But I hope there's been something of interest here that you can think about to explore your emotions a little bit more. And maybe uh, in the year ahead, being able to articulate some emotions to help you get past them a little bit more uh, swiftly, whether you are peeved or restless or stunned or apprehensive or met or disheartened or insecure or lost or disconnected, forlorn, spent, excluded. And potentially, if you want to hang on to them a little bit more, you want to expand them a little bit more. For instance, if you're at ease, pleased, lively, enthusiastic, hopeful, restful, peaceful, blessed, understood, delighted, upbeat, enthusiastic, exhilarated, elated, empowered, proud or ecstatic. Thank you for sharing the journey with me and uh, I will look forward to sharing more emotions as the year goes on because one thing that we know for sure is we are all going to experience emotions on a day-to-day, week-to-week, year-to-year basis. Thank you so much and if you would like to learn more, if you would like to come along to some of our live sessions, uh, we always have two live sessions a year. We've got some fabulous guests this year. Um, so please take a look at learnwithsue.com.au and maybe consider joining and becoming a member to get access to more of those sessions. If not, I will see you here again next time. Bye.